Now, broadcasting on StarWorldWideNetworks.com. It's time for Dr. Rademacher's Prescription for Transformation. Let's tap into your own authentic genius and live the life you desire. Join Dr. Rademacher for an enlightened conversation about our brain intelligence, our body intelligence, and our energy intelligence. And now, here's your host, Dr. Bart Rademacher. I'm Dr. Bart Rademacher, and this is Prescription for Your Transformation. Real people, real conversations, and real success. And what I get to do is I get to bring these incredibly talents from all over the world that's going to give you their gems, their genius of their own personal transformation. And today is a little bit different than some of my talks that I've had before, because I really want you to dial into this compelling story. It's a long story. I'm going to let you know this right now. But listen to the the challenges, the trials and tribulations, and, and, and listen to the opportunities that this man discovered that, that brought him to his optimum health today. Struck with, uh, with major sickness at a very young age, not getting all these any, any kind of, you know, results, you know, throughout his life for his first 28 years, severely ill and not getting the answers until one day, you know, something did change that led to more things happening later on. And so today's talk, if you, if you dial in, think about possibility, think about opportunity, think about not giving up and certainly think about what is your intention? Now, what is your life? What matters? So listen to my friend, Eduardo Acegueda, his story. It's a long story, but listen to it and, and, and discover the importance of the story in your own life and perhaps that in the lives of others. Well, uh, I think I, I had to become a fighter from a very early age. Since I was two, I... I basically faced uh, the possibility of dying very, very closely. And my parents tell me that I was born healthy. I, I, I was a very happy kid. I would go out. Uh, it, we had a, a big garden back in Mexico. And I, I loved it when it was time to, to water the grass and the flowers. And they had the systems that will just spray the water. Now we'll go out to my garden and play under the water. And, and life was beautiful. And I, uh, it, even though it, it's a little strange, but I remember many of those moments and feelings very, very clearly in my head and in my heart. But when I was two, we made a trip to Acapulco. And it seems like all my siblings and I, we, we got a a bacterial infection, and I was the only child out of, uh, we're five siblings, um, and they're, they're, the other four are much older than I am, and I was the only one that was not breastfed, and my mom always regretted that. She, she, she felt guilty her entire life, but back then, doctors were recommending uh, mothers not to breastfeed their babies, so she, she did what she was told, and, and Apparently, that, that uh, really uh, charged a big quote in my, in my process. So basically, at age two, I, I got a, an, an infection that, that made it very, very bad for, for me, my lungs, my, my respiratory tract. 
And it brought me close to that, uh, not only once, but, but many times for the following years, I was treated with very large doses of antibiotics and other medication, and that kind of controlled the situation, but I never stopped really being uh, sick until maybe when I was seven, uh, we found a doctor who diminished the amount of, of medication and he treated me with other kind of stuff like like he would do very harsh cleaning of my whole uh, sinuses and uh, all, all my yeah like he he told my mom once uh you're going to wrap the kid in a towel you're going to put his arms like this you're going to wrap him in a towel and you're going to inject uh, through his nose uh, warm water with, with a mix of different things. And he's going to yell. He's going to scream. He's going to cry. He's going to try to hit you, pull your hair. And he's going to suffer. But trust me, it, it, it's better than giving him so much medication. We need to really bring this lower. So my mom always told the story um, that first time she wrapped me in the towel. And when she did the first shot, I, I, I didn't even fight. I, I was so relieved. I mean, it felt like hell, but it, it really uh, brought a, a, a kind of relief that I didn't feel for years. So the second time she did it, she didn't have to wrap me. I, I was completely, please, please, mom, do it, you know? So that's how the story began. And so I, I had to start getting a lot of control over my body just because of that. And um, another way I tried to, to compensate for, for everything that was happening to me was I, I had to become tough. So um, my father uh, put me into uh, American football, which uh, he played when he was younger and my brother played. And so it was kind of the family sport, although I was in Mexico. And I started very, very young. And it, it really helped me to, to shape my, my character. I love the sport. I respect the sport so much. It, it, it gave me some of the best moments of my childhood, which were uh, always uh, a struggle because although after seven years old, I, I had a normal childhood to, to say it in a way, I was always struggling with infections and I was always getting antibiotics anyway, just in, in smaller doses. Eventually I was, uh, I was diagnosed with rheumatic fever and I just kept getting shots of, uh, you know, penicillin and, and large doses of vitamin D, which was also shots and um, other stuff. So I kind of learned to live that way and I started training martial arts more or less at the same time, seven, eight years old. And I, I loved it. You know, I, I just love the, the, the possibility of, of being in a certain level of control over my body. And so the feeling that that gave me made me uh, go as deep as I could into both American football and, and martial arts. And I did a lot of meditation as well, very intuitively, because I, I never received formal training until probably when I was 13 or 14. But yet I, I, I did something that, that I needed my time. I needed my silence. I needed my moments to uh, observe and, and contemplate. And, and that made a huge difference for me. And, um, well, eventually... Uh, 
when I was uh, 16, I, I, my, my bedroom was my temple. And I always went there uh, barefoot. And I asked everyone in my house to please take their shoes off before going into my bedroom because that was my my place for meditation and 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 uh, it was it was sacred for me. So one, uh, my mom, I lived at, with my mom at that time, and she was very respectful. Usually, she was always supportive, and she was a wonderful, wonderful woman, my best friend. And, but one day she, she was in a bad mood. She was in a rush and she, she rushed into my bedroom wearing shoes and, and she opened the closet to look for something. She, she kept some of her stuff in my, in my closet. So she went inside and, and, and I was like, mom, you didn't take your shoes off. And, and, you know, I got her in a bad moment and, and, and she just blew up and she said, you know, this is my home and, and I, I do whatever I want in my home. So don't bother me with that anymore. And I was an adolescent and it, I, I could have fought back, you know, asking for my rights and, and, and making it uh, a, a huge deal. But in that moment, I, I just thought to myself, you know, she's completely right. She's absolutely right. What, what, how can I demand from her to take her shoes off in her own home? But it's clear for me that I need my own place. I need my place where things can be the way I feel they have to be, where I can just meditate without being afraid that someone is going to rush into my place and, and completely disrupt me. And so that day, not the next day, that day I started working. And I started working towards having my own place. And I remember I, I went out of my bedroom and it was uh, at dinner time. And my, my younger sister was there. She's eight years older than I am, but she's the youngest one after me. And, um, and I told my mom and I told my sister, you know, uh, I'm going to start working today. And, and, and they, my sister laughed at me and she said, what are you going to do? Because in Mexico, usually men leave their house when they get married at 27, 30. 30 that's just the, the tradition, you know. But I was 16 and I, I, I said, I, I'm working today. So I need my place. I, I need my temple. I, I, I need my sacred space. And my mom just got quiet. My sister laughed at me. But um, I started working. And, and two and a half years later, I had my own place. And, and, and that's when when things started getting really intense and my, my, I, I started teaching martial arts uh, at the time that was part of, of the things that I started doing when I started working. And I had many students that I loved very much. Uh, I started with a group of children, uh, my nephew being one of them. And uh, some of them were five, some of them were six. And I also had uh, groups of adults and, and different, different uh, ages, different kinds of groups, people from the university and the school where I was at. Right. And, and one of the toughest things was when, when I started having more health issues, uh, more or less, when I was um, 21 uh, everything started getting out of control. You know, like I, I became uh, used to living with just falling sick every now and then and getting the shots and, and, and the antibiotics and uh, everything three, four times a year. And, and that was kind of normal for me. But 
my skin started breaking breaking out really badly. I started losing a lot of weight. I started feeling like absolutely weak, helpless, exhausted all all the time. Like no matter what I did, no matter how much I rested, I was finding right. it harder and harder to move. And um, and I could clearly feel uh, weakness in inside of my body. I, I could feel it in my bones. I could feel it in my joints. But also pain, inflammation. Uh, I could feel it in my organs because I, I always did so much work with with my with my body. And um, until eventually, I, I had to speak with my students and tell them I, I cannot train you anymore. There, there's no way. I, I, I cannot. I cannot keep keep going. And by that time, some of, of them were already taller than I was. Some of the five-year-olds that started training with me back when I was 16, 17, now they were taller than I, than I was. And I was uh, a, a big part of their life, and, and, and they were a big part of mine. But it was clear to me that, that things were getting out of control and conventional medicine was not helping it anymore. Like I... I I will say that I had very good doctors in, in my path. It was a 20-year struggle uh, in which I gave the responsibility of my healing to the experts, to the doctors, to the specialists. I, I was lucky to be able to be treated by many, many very good and prestigious doctors. And some of them did help me. None of them was able to make me into a completely healthy person, but I was functional for many years and I, I'm always grateful for that. But at the same rate, I was uh, a victim of medical negligence and medical abuse many times. And the last time was just uh, really, really confronting. And uh, I had been over a year uh, with, with a doctor who was giving me uh, immunotherapy and he caused uh, very serious allergies that I never suffered from. So besides everything I was already going through, now this made my life a living hell. And when I confronted him and I told him eventually after a year, I, I, I used to see him twice a week. Right. So we, we became kind of uh, um, peers in, <laughs> in the process. And, and one day I told him, you know, Please tell me the truth, because none of what is happening is what you told me was going to happen. It, it, it doesn't make sense. I'm getting worse and worse instead of feeling even a little better. So please tell me, be honest with me. Tell me what's going on. So he pulled a book from behind him and he showed the book to me. And he, it, it seems like he had the, uh, everything ready when, when this uh, talk finally uh, was to happen. And he showed me the paragraph in which it said that only one out of 10,000 people who went into the protocol that he put me under uh, would have a, a reaction like the one I did. So he said, you know, uh, this happens. It's not my fault. You have bad luck and uh, there's nothing else I can do. So basically, uh, he just uh, told me I had my bad luck and he didn't. Uh, How did that make you feel? I mean, well, the way it made me feel, and I, I, I've said it before, if I would have the strength to, 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 to jump on him and, 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 and hit him in the face, I would have done it. But I was feeling so weak that I, I was just, I just felt betrayed. I felt stupid. 
I felt terrible. And I went back home and I remember this day like if it was yesterday. And I, I remember exactly the place where I sat down back in my place and uh, in complete silence, I, I, I just uh, reflected on everything that had happened for the last 20 years. And I realized I made uh, an essential mistake. And that mistake was I always made the doctors responsible. I never, I never took the responsibility myself. I realized that I was bringing my body to the doctor the same way I was bringing my car to the shop. So here's my broken body. Uh, fix it and I'm going to pay you. And, and that day I, I made what was probably the most important decision in my healing process, which was never again. Healing is something, it's a responsibility that can only be mine. And uh, I, I didn't know where to start. I didn't know how to actually uh, start being responsible of, of, of my healing, of the possibility of my healing, of whatever could happen. But uh, it was just so clear that I, I'm, I'm not... So uh, what happened next? Whoops. So uh, uh, I had a Catholic, Catholic uh, uh, education when I was very young. And that, in that moment, something jumped into my mind. And, and, and I remember that, uh, of course, uh, everybody has heard that Jesus Christ used to heal uh, the, the ill, the, the, the sick people. And, and, but I, I realized something I heard hundreds of times, and I read dozens of times. And, and I noticed something that I never noticed before. So, yes, uh, Jesus Christ used to heal, and, and the, the, the Bible mentions it in, in two different ways. One way is uh, like that, like Jesus used to heal, and, and, and they tell the story, and, and, and that's that. But in other parts of the Bible, they, they actually uh, quote Jesus about him healing. And every time they quote Jesus about him healing somebody else, he would always say, it wasn't me. It wasn't me. And, and just that, you know, yes, the Bible said, uh, it wasn't me. It was you through your faith. But in that moment, my faith was broken. Uh, for a Catholic, I was very, very deep into Catholicism when I, was, when I was very young. And for me, it was very hard to accept that my faith had broken after so many years of really trying to do everything right and, and everything going wrong. Right. But the, I, I had to accept and be honest. And I said, okay, my, my faith is broken, but the responsibility is mine. It's not him. It's not the doctor. It's not my parents. It, it's not the world. It's me. So what do I do? So the first thing I thought about doing was studying medicine. Uh, so I, I, I signed up for for, for uh, to study the, the career of, of medical doctor. And uh, it was a huge deal, but eventually I was accepted. And the first day of classes, the first day uh, came and, and that day I was getting ready to go to school. First day to go to the university. And I, I was feeling weak. I was feeling terrible. And something just clicked into my mind. And I, I realized, you know, I'm, I'm going to start studying a career that my doctors studied 
many years ago, and they have so much experience and they have no idea how to really get me out of this one. It's it's not the logical thing to do. I'm I'm, going to have the same resources they have and the same limitations they have. So I have to look elsewhere. And uh, it was very clear to me as as time progressed and and the whole thing was getting worse and worse, it, it was becoming very clear to me that my physical health, the level of vitality I would experience every day had a lot to do with my emotional uh, life, with my emotional state and uh, my thoughts. Because I got to a point in which my doctors didn't really know what was happening. I didn't know what was happening. So I started observing everything. And I, 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 I guess uh, not a little, but maybe a super obsessive. <laughs> so I started observing things like uh, what side of the bed I, I, I slept on, uh, what side of my body, or if it was on my back or on my stomach, what I had uh, for food in the morning, uh, in the afternoon, at night, how much water I drank, uh, how was the weather that day. I, I, I started trying to find a pattern of why I had days in which I could function, maybe not 100%, but I could function. I could even do some sports. And there were days in which I couldn't really even move. So uh, what happened was that through that path, I met some some doctors who were uh, PhDs, medical doctors, scientists. I'm very skeptical and, and I was trained uh, my family is, you know, is lawyers and, and uh, businessmen and, and doctors. And so it was hard for me to open my mind to anything else. And uh, so every time I approached someone with other options, I wanted to make sure he was a medical doctor first. And I started working with people who, besides being medical doctors and, and had uh, PhDs of, of uh things that I I could understand and trust. They also had other specialties like homeopathy and acupuncture and kinesiology and different kinds of things. So that led me to travel to the United States and and get different kinds of treatments, uh, study different things because now I was responsible. So now it was not only about bringing my body to, to the expert, but it was about becoming an expert as much as I could with that doctor and and researching and making sure that anything I would put into my body, I I was fully aware of the good things that it could bring and and the bad things that it could bring. And um, so it started, I started a path in which I learned a lot about about health, about different options. I even ended up helping some doctors train other doctors in some of those things. Until uh, eventually um, a research group from from Europe learned about my case and and they told me, you know, Eduardo, uh, we want you to come to Europe because you're a very interesting subject. We're not going to lie to you. We we don't promise that we can help you, but we are fascinated by your story because uh, you're very peculiar you have not responded well to absolutely anything. And, and, and we're, we know everything you've tried. So we want to bring you to Europe and go deep into your case and, and try to find out what it is that's happening. 
and and they worked with biological medicine from Germany, mm-hmm. and and uh, different different tools. So uh, what they explained to me was kind of interesting and appealing, and I decided to come to Europe. Uh, they paid for most of of my treatments and analysis and everything. And after a few months of a lot of tests and and trying many different things with me, they said, "Well, um, Eduardo, your 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 liver is completely shut down. You know, it's 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 really almost uh, clinically dead. You have uh, problems in your heart. You have problems in your kidneys, in your adrenals. You have uh, problems in your bones, in, in your lungs, in your blood, and and." there's nothing really much we can do. So I, I remember when, when they told me all that, uh, they said some of the damage was, ma- was caused by, by the rheumatic fever itself, but most of the damage probably was caused by so many years of taking so, such large doses of, of medication. Right. So uh, I remember asking them, well, can I get a transplant? And, 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 they said, no, you're not a subject. You, 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 you're not a candidate. You have so many things wrong in your body that it, it doesn't make you a candidate for a transplant. And, and, and we're sorry. Uh, we've only had a case uh, similar to yours. It wasn't nearly as bad. And she didn't make it. She didn't survive for over a year. So we really think that you have to speak with your parents and you have to, to make the best out of whatever is left. And that was a life changer. That was, that was a, a, a moment in which what I was feeling was confirmed. It, it didn't come as a surprise because I was 28 at the time and I was absolutely exhausted. I was absolutely exhausted. Not only did I feel terrible physically and, and in pain and, and I had weeks upon weeks in which I, I, it, it, I found it so hard to even just go to the bathroom. Like I, I would spend m- most of the day on the bed and, and sometimes I will have to, to drag myself to the bathroom, not even get up, just, just uh, crawl there. So, so and, what did you do? When, when was the time that you made that decision to change your life? Well, I, I think that the, the moment in which I took responsibility, that was the decision that, that changed my life. That's when I started researching in, in, in the right way and, and exploring different options. And although many of them didn't work, at least I, I was always responsible. So when, when this news came, uh, I made another bunch of, of decisions, which were also uh, part of my healing, I think. And, and the first decision I made was, I'm not going to obsess about death. You know, uh, I'm not going to think about that while I'm alive, because right now it's about being alive. And we don't really know what that is until we experience it. And that maybe because we don't really know if there's a consciousness, if there's not a consciousness, if we want to be really objective, we don't really know what happens. So I'm not going to waste the last moments of life that I have left thinking about something that's coming anyway. So that was a major decision because when the news came, you know, it's, it's always tempting to start just, just getting in there even before time. 
So I decided to make the best out of my life while I was still alive. And, and, and that brought me to the second decision because I had to have really, really clear what being alive was for me. Because that's the moment in which you think, okay, uh, I'm going to spend the last of what I've left in, in, in just traveling around or, 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 or doing the things that, that I never dared to do. And, and, and maybe they're not the most healthy, but I, 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 you know, I'm, I'm leaving anyway. So how, how old I, were you then? I was 28. Okay. I was 28. And uh, so in that moment, I realized that nothing ever made me feel more alive than the moments in which it was clear to me that I was growing. Growing, uh, growing my consciousness, growing my understanding, growing my, my forgiveness, growing my gratitude, growing my ability to be of service in, in any way I could. So I decided that whatever I had left, I would devote whatever I had left to growing in, in any way I could. Right. So uh, first thing I did was I started writing letters. I started writing letters to every person that was meaningful in my life. Some of those letters I knew that they would never get. Some of those letters were from my parents and I knew they would get them. I never sent them. I just had them ready for when the moment came to make it as less, as, as, as little, uh, as less painful as possible. So, but the, just writing those letters, that was such a big thing because when I wrote those letters, I realized that it was all about gratitude. I had nothing to, to uh, you know, I had nothing to demand from anyone. I had nothing to, to be upset about with anyone. Like every person is different. Every person does the best they can. And every person brought so many things, beautiful things, wonderful things to my life. And I, I didn't write one sentence of, of, uh, you know, you didn't do that. And, 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 and the day you did this, you right? heard me. It, 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 that had no value whatsoever. So that was very healing in itself. And once I had all the letters ready and everything, then I started uh, having moments in which I, I thought that was the last moment. Like my, my heart had really bad rhythm. It had, it had a lot of arrhythmias and I could feel it suddenly just going, boom, like, like, it, like it stopped working. And so many times I, I, I thought, this is it, I'm, I'm, I'm going. Something interesting that a lot of people ask me is, were you afraid? And I have to be honest, I wasn't. I mean, a little, I'm not going to lie. A, a little, yes, but fear was not uh, uh, an important emotion I was dealing with. I was ready. I was very grateful. I, I realized that I was 28 years old. My first sister, she died in, in the moment of birth. My very first sister, she, she didn't leave for, for more than a few seconds. And I remember the first time I heard that story, I was a kid. My mom was always, always very open about these things. And she told me that story, her first child, she lost her in, in childbirth. So in that moment, I was, you know, I had 28 years, you know, it, it, it's probably not as much as, as everybody thought I would get, but 20 year, 28 years is, is, is a good amount of years. And I, I got to, to live wonderful things and I got to see so many beautiful places and met so many wonderful people and I got to love and I got to laugh and I got to do so many great things. 
So, you know, if it's time to leave, it's, it's okay. And then what happened? It's okay. And then what happened was that uh, I, was, I was going through this process and I was doing my thing, living in peace and, and, and just being ready for the moment, learning to appreciate every little thing that came into my life, every smell, every flavor, every moment. I, I had the privilege to, to hear my parents' voices over the phone because I couldn't live in Mexico City. I had to live uh, at sea level and take very good care of my diet and the air I breathe and, and temperature. My body really didn't really produce any heat, so I, I couldn't be in any cold place or anything that was absolutely painful for me. So um, I was enjoying life uh, in a way that I, I never enjoyed before. Like all through my life, I, I always felt I had to do so many to accomplish so many things in order to, to experience true fulfillment. And one day I, I, I realized I was so fulfilled and it, it was so ironical because I was in a terrible health situation, the worst I ever had. I was broke financially. Like I had to sell my house, everything I worked for since I, since I was 16, I lost it. You know, I had to sell everything and and, and, and use the money to pay my trips, my treatments, my medication. So I, I, I was broke financially. And I was far away from my family. So it, it, that, that uh, equation doesn't add up to being really happy or fulfilled. Yet I was. Right. You know, we always think that in order to be happy, you need to be, to be healthy. And if, if you have loads of money, then life is, is, is so much better. And if you uh, are near the most important sources of love in your life, that's also so important. And yes, all those things are important, but I realized that they were not nearly as important as being able to truly appreciate whatever it is that you have. So it's when, not about how much you have. And when you finally discovered that, right? Because I, I know there's another part of the story where you actually did go to China. When, when did yeah. that happen? Well, I was exactly in that process. I was exactly in the process of, of, of blowing my mind by saying, man, I always thought I had to achieve so much in order to experience this. And now I, I can barely move. I'm in pain. I'm far away from everyone. I, I'm broke. I'm living in a little uh, rooftop of, of, of a poor house in, in, in a poor town. In, in the Yucatan Peninsula, nothing. And I'm so freaking happy and so grateful. I'm so enjoying every single day and so ready for the moment comes, for whenever the moment comes. And that, now I understand how that process worked, but at that time I didn't. So what happened in that moment is one of my doctors from Holland who had tried many things for, for years uh, uh, many things uh, he always said were wonderful to, to achieve some level of, of healing and nothing worked, nothing ever worked. He contacted me and he said, you know, I was invited to China to the world's largest medicine-free hospital. And uh, I, I saw the most amazing thing I've ever seen in my life. The, the things I saw in that place, I, I, it, they really, really blew my mind. They, they used no drugs. They use no needles, no herbs, no special diets. The only thing they do 
is a, a very small number of very simple exercises anybody can practice, even old people, exercises with their body and their mind. And I saw with my very eyes people healing from all kinds of diseases. And, and there's loads of scientific research being made. And I think you should try it. And, you know, when, when I received those news, I was like, no, I'm not going to try it. I, I, I was so tired. I was so ready. I was in such a good place, uh, even though things were the way they were, right. that I, I, I wasn't interested. And I thought to myself, you know, he's told me great things about other options before, and none of them worked. Why would this one? So I didn't pay attention. He sent me a video that I, I didn't watch for months until one day, just out of curiosity, uh, popped it into the uh, video camera. I had a, a video camera with a, with a screen on it. And uh, when I saw the, the exercises, I felt insulted. When I saw the exercises, they, they were so simple that I, I thought to myself, so this guy, this doctor who knows me, who, who, who I think is my friend and, and, and respects me as a, as a thinking human being, in what concept does he really have me in order to think that I'm going to believe that by doing these stupid exercises, I'm going to achieve what I haven't achieved in, in, in almost three decades with surgery and, and all kinds of medication and, and, and this and that. So I, I remember I turned off the video and I felt like I had lost a friend. I was like, this is insulting, really insulting. Until one day, uh, I just decided to try it. You know, I was like, oh, I'm going to give it a shot and, and I'm going to do the exercises. And I did uh, a 15 minute uh method it's a method of very simple movements just just like this just like this and um after 15 minutes my body started reacting in in, in ways that were not nice i started feeling very very sick i i didn't feel better all the contrary i i really felt really bad but it, it was it was shocking to see that maybe those simple exercises were causing my body to react in such tangible, dra drastic ways. So the first time I, I was like, you know, maybe it wasn't the exercises. Maybe it was just a coincidence. Uh, like I said, I have a very scientific mind and I, I don't, uh, it's not easy for me to, to consider these things. So I tried it the next day and the next day happened the same thing. And the next day happened the same thing until it was very clear that the moment I started doing the exercises, something was happening with my body and, and it was reacting in more tangible ways than it ever reacted to anything else. Even though they were not nice, I, I wasn't feeling better. It, they made me curious enough to decide to go to China and, and, and research myself, try to find out what was, what was really happening and how much really people heal, whether my doctor was exaggerating or he was being objective. And so I, I traveled to China in 1999. I was 29 by, by, by then. And um, I, I couldn't travel to the hospital. I tried to get into the hospital where my, my uh, doctor from Holland uh, was invited, 
but the hospital was closed at that time. They, they closed it during the winter. And so I was invited to come to the foot of China's most sacred mountain, which is called Taishan, is in Shandong province. China has five sacred mountains and uh, Taishan is, is the most sacred one of them. And I was very lucky to, to be invited by Master Wang Laoshe. She, she is an amazing, amazing woman. And um, she, she learned about my case through my phone calls. I, I made uh, hundreds of phone calls. And eventually she learned about, uh, about me. She didn't know the details. She didn't know what was happening with me. All she knew is that I was sick and I wanted to come to China and, and, and learn the real thing. Because I, I met a lot of people in, 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 in the path uh, in the process who were saying they could teach me. And, and, but I, I, I really wanted to learn the real thing. I wanted to be in the hospital. And since I, I couldn't go to the hospital, I said, I'm not going to go to China. But this, this woman, she was the head grandmaster of, of the community of practitioners at the foot of, the, of China's most sacred mountain. So it felt more, more, more trustworthy and I decided to give it a shot. And I traveled. I arrived uh, in, uh, at the end of, of the fall of 1999. And I started receiving a very special training. Uh, master Wang decided to be my, my, my personal master. She decided to uh, observe everything that was going on with me. I had a personal translator. And I had two teachers in charge of, of, of training me. Right. But Master Wang was supervising every step. She was supervising. She was oh, deciding. Sure. Eduardo, um, yeah. I know we've been talking for this story is really compelling. And, and <laughs> you know, what I'm getting from this and what I want the audience to get as well is that, you know, here is someone that really had no reason to be alive today uh, for all sorts of reasons. However you want to uh, discuss it, analyze it, slice it. You know, and, and your story is really compelling. And, and what I'm actually really totally getting out of this is, is your resilience. And, and that was a choice. As much as it may have been an unconscious choice, you know, it was a choice, even at the age of, of two years old. You know, so your story is so compelling that totally brought you to, um, to China at the age of 29 to totally revolutionize and transform your life. We only have about 12 minutes left on this interview. And so what I want you to share with the people, because the, your, your story is so compelling, which should inspire others, that maybe they don't have it so hard. But I want to hear from you the lessons that you learn that you are now also teaching your students. You know, we talked about possibility. You know, for me, I like to translate gratitude in the form of gratitude is saying yes to the universe. It's saying yes to possibility. You know, when, when you're grateful, you're not missing out on anything. You've got everything there. And it's that energy that you emit also the universe really responds. But yeah. the other thing that I also really want to tap into, because I think this is important. And as a coach myself and, and helping so many people with their own personal transformation, the, the first hurdle is getting clarity. And, and it's crazy because most people want to have these big, big ideas, but they don't, they lack clarity. Mm. And then, so I like what you're saying about the clarity of intention, which is key. But the one thing that I very seldom hear from others is, is the, the attachment or unattachment. Mm. 
Yes. And and so I, I want to hear from you right now as, as we're kind of wrapping up. We only have about 12. Uh, now it's only about 11 minutes. <laughs> sure. um, talking about possibility, number one. So yeah. a couple of minutes on that. But then let's talk about clarity and intention. And then as well as attachment. I think these Absolutely. Are Absolutely. Well, okay, you know, uh, we're human beings, we're creative beings, we, we are a way in which the universe gets to know itself, Carl Sagan used to say, I, and I say uh, that that sentence, as beautiful as it is, and as much as I admire Carl Sagan, uh, I think he, he, he cut short in that one. I, I, I believe that we are a way in which the universe also transforms itself and it evolves so we're creative beings and we are all about uh, creating possibilities and exploring new possibilities and making the impossible possible until eventually is even uh, normal. Things that seem to be impossible 20 years ago, today they are normal. No? So, uh, so do you know the origin of the term lunatics? No. So you know what a lunatic is, right? Lunatics is the synonym for being crazy or insane. Oh, thinking we can get to the moon. So there were people, at, you know, I think it was in the 18, 1800s, maybe early 1900s, I don't know. Yeah. They all believed that uh, they all had dreams and, and ambitions to go to the moon. Exactly. Lunatics. Exactly, exactly. So what I'm trying to get to is we're all about creating. We're all about changing the odds. We're all about going against the odds in so many ways. And Qigong, what I learned in China, is about that. It's about making the impossible possible. It's the science behind the miracles, in a way. Like uh, this hospital in China, it, it was called by my doctor in Europe and, and many other Europeans that, that learned about this place and, and, and people from the first world, they called it the miracle hospital, the hospital of miracles, because so many impressive things were, were happening there. So... As much as it is about achieving the impossible and allowing us to take an active role as co-creators of our own reality, it's also about helping us remember that, yes, we're co-creators, but we are not omnipotent. We can have a very significant effect on the way things go. On, on the things that happen, but we are nowhere near to being in control over everything. So there are still things that are going to go their way. And there are things that we can help go our way. And when you understand and you're humble enough and realistic enough, like we've heard millions of times, the truth will set you free. And, and, and practicing this form of Qigong, the one that was used as the only tool in the world's largest medicine-free hospital, is not about being optimistic, is not about thinking positive, it's about being realistic, about thing, seeing things the way they really, really are. The, the more clear you see things, the more objective you are, the more free you become. So when you're faced uh, with any kind of situation, if, if you can look at the worst case scenario objectively and realize it is possible, it is there, it can happen, and, and, and you prepare for that, like you, you become, uh, you get in harmony with that possibility. 
you take the charge out of it. You completely get, take uh, the energy away from it. Then you can look at the best case scenario, the best possibility. And you also accept it. And you also get in harmony with that possibility. Now you can work towards achieving that without the fear of the worst happening because you were able to look at fear right into the eyes. And the best example I can give you was my own healing. So when I went to China, I can tell this with absolute honesty. I didn't go to China thinking I was going to heal. Mm -hmm. That was not even a possibility. I went to China. You spoke about clarity. My only intention was grow. Life was about growing. And I, I was going to grow by going to China, even if it was only to find out that it was a, a big charade, you know, that, that none of this was real. And my, my, my doctor from Holland was exaggerating. Uh, and and that was, there, there was growth in that answer, you know, that was truth. So I was ready to, to embrace it. But there was also the possibility that he was not exaggerating. That could also be true. Right. And, and, and it would be a beautiful truth. Although, although I have to say, I, even in that case, I thought it would not work for me because many of the things I tried before, I saw them working for other people, but not for me. So my healing was out of the equation. Yet, when you practice Qin and Qigong, when, when, when you get the formal training and you learn to, to start doing the exercises, teachers tell you, now you have to have the clear intention to heal. Your intention is to be healthy. It doesn't matter if you believe it or if you don't believe it. Because I will tell them, I don't believe it. I mean, I've been sick for almost all my life and, and I'm dying. What, what are you just talking about? So you have they to said, believe in the intention. You have to want the intention. Don't worry about it. Don't think too much. Just you have to have the intention of being healthy and bring yourself to think that you're healthy as much as you can. Right. Don't worry if you, if you do a great job or, 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 or what you think is a bad job. Just think about it. And I will be there just thinking about it. And how, how do you think of a healthy liver? My God, what the hell is that? How does that feel like? How does that look like? I had no point of reference. So we'll just look at other people who were energetic and, and, and looked happy. And So, so, so just, let me, let, let's finish up because we're, we're almost done. On yeah. time. You know, we got like three minutes left. What do you yeah, help yeah. people to do right now? So well, anybody well, who's listening to your journey right now, you know, what is their next step? You know, is it doing Qigong? Is, there, is it finding people to do Qigong? Is it finding you doing your course? You know, what is that step? And, and um, we've got about two minutes that you can share. <laughs> yes, Bart. Well, yeah, the thing is when, when you practice without the attachment to the result, you have the clear intention, you let things flow. and I became very good at that. So five months later, I was how, healthy how, for the first you, time of my, in my life. Un, how do you stay unattached? Uh, well, I had accepted that. Remember, I, I had accepted it. And, and part, of me, part of me was even curious about it. It, it. Not that I wanted it to come, but I, I was, you know, it's something we're all going to go through. It doesn't have to be bad. 
there, there was part of me that, that was so ready that I, I, I learned to see it as a, as a journey, a journey that we're all going to embark on. And I, I thought to myself, okay, something new comes. I don't know what were it you, is. Were you accepting death but still fearful of it? Or was that? Was it, were you accepting the possibility of death but still kind of feared dying or feared not living? I, I was not afraid of dying. There, there was probably a little fear of the unknown. But at the same time, I've always felt life is so good. The universe is so good. Why would that be bad if it's something we're all going to go through? So there was no charge there. There was no attachment to living because I was ready for dying. So that's what happened. So uh -huh. eventually uh, the master in, in, in China uh, gave me a training that she was very uh, – she insisted a lot that they never train anyone the way they train me. And she asked me to bring this knowledge to the world. Wonderful. So that was back in year 2000. And when after five months, I was completely healthy for the first time in my life, I decided to share this knowledge with as many people as I could in the best possible way that I could. And that's what I've been doing for the last 21 years. Wonderful. And I've been, I've been uh, completely healthy for 21 years I met the love of my life. I am a father of a seven-year-old and a five-year-old. And, and I, supposedly, I was not able to have kids. And, and breastfed, right? Yeah. So that's my mission, just sharing this knowledge with the rest of the world. So how do people find you? Uh, I have a, a, a website. Uh, it's, uh, it, it has my name. It's uh, eduardo-osegueda.com. Uh, and they can find all the information there. And I have the training online. And yeah, people can, can act, learn everything that really allowed me to recover my health. I can teach them. I've been doing so for 21 years. I have over 23,000 students and uh, countless success stories. Well, Eduardo, thank you so much. This is such a compelling story. Um, thank you, Bart. I love to hear the stories because I think it's something that's so relatable. And so when people just listen to your story, they know what's possible. You know, the, the Eastern philosophy, the Eastern medicine is incredibly powerful. There are so many incredible resources there for people. And, and certainly I embrace those. You know, traditional medicine has its place today. It doesn't necessarily have all the answers. I know that for sure. I've been a surgeon for a long time and I know where it works and when it doesn't. And I'm so um, honored to be talking to you and, and you've gone through this journey. You survived this journey. You're testament to the power of Eastern medicine as well. Eduardo, thank you so much. Thanks so much, Bart. Thank to you. And, and yes, uh, you're right. I have many students and friends who are doctors and thank God for, for uh, medical sciences. It, it, it all adds up, you know, it all comes together right. in a beautiful synergy when the patient uh, takes responsibility, then the help of the doctors, of, of the treatments, even become much more effective as well. And the key point there is taking responsibility and, and yeah. many people are abdicating that role. Well, anyhow, Eduardo, thank you so much. I am Dr. Bart Rademacher, and this is Prescription for Your Transformation. Real people, real conversations, and real success, tapping into your authentic genius 
so that you can live the life that you desire. It is up to you. It is entirely up to you. You know, nothing um, is, is random in this universe. There's an intelligence in this universe. All you have to do is tap into it. Thank you, and I'll be back. Thanks for listening to Dr. Rademacher's Prescription for Transformation. Join Dr. Bart Rademacher live right here on StarWorldWideNetworks.com or on demand 24-7.